0: Good morning, Orangewood. Good morning, Orangewood. I had to follow Lori the last service, too. Well, welcome to the preach-off on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Dial 407-539-1501 for Jeff, two for uh, Zach, three for Joe, and four for me. Uh, We're having fun going through this fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Let's have a word of prayer Father, I just thank you that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, because we look to you as our strength and redeemer. And thank you, Father, that as we have sung this morning, uh, that there would be a wonderful awakening within each of us this day uh, through your spirit dwelling within us. And as to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm well into my 70th year, and uh, I have been through a lot of battles in my life. Uh, I have the scars to prove it. Uh, Even though I was blessed with great parents, I battled with them in my youth. Imagine that. Uh, Then uh, I battled with uh, being popular. I battled with getting dates. I battled uh, with grades. I battled with uh, geometry and uh, with biology. I battled in athletics. Just battled again last uh, Friday at the Orangewood Golf Tournament. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Competitive guy, still battling away, enjoying things like that. Uh married uh, a woman I'd known since I was three, and I've been battling with her for 48 years. Uh, well, not quite that long, but uh, we've had about 40 years of great marriage and eight years, yeah. And, uh, and I've uh, battled just about in every conceivable way. Uh, battled in the banking business my first career. Fortunately, no battles from the church ever. mm mm-hmm. Oh, they're the tough ones. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, one battle that I have never been engaged in is serving my country. Uh, and there are those of you here that we celebrated v- Veterans Day this last Friday that have served your country. Uh, you have uh, served perhaps in World War II, about the time I was born, maybe Korea, Uh, maybe in Vietnam, uh, perhaps uh, more recently in Iraq or Afghanistan, or you have some relatives or sons or daughters that are serving that way. Would you please stand if you're a a veteran? Uh, I just want us to salute you today. A little... But of all the battles I've been in, uh, the toughest of them all, the most enduring of them all is the battle within. You know, I'd like to stand before you today at my age and tell you, hey, i uh, got some good news for you. It gets easier. It hasn't for me. Uh, I've grown uh, and I, there have been improvements in my life and my uh, becoming more like Christ uh, to the glory of God. And uh, I sometimes uh, plead to him, and I say, you know, I, I look at myself where I am right now, and I think of where I should be, and, and why am I not further along in this journey of my Christ-likeness? And then he humbly reminds me that, well, you're only as far along as you are because of me, and it's not because of you. And I want to turn to a text this morning in Galatians uh, chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, 26. And there is everything to say about the church and church battles here. And I want to bring this context to you because I think it's very important that you understand the context in which uh, Paul writes to the church at Galatia. But first, let's hear God's word in the fifth chapter of his letter to the Galatians, beginning at verse 16. This is the word of the Lord. But I say Now, the works of the flesh are evident. And he goes on to list 15 things here. And he doesn't uh, suppose this is an exhaustive list because he ends by saying, and things like these. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Miss anybody? I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me just stop and make a point there because that's obviously a a very stinging uh, truth from the Word of God. Those who are unrepentantly, willfully, persistently uh, doing these things, they would be those who would not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit." Now, I I'd end I it right here, but there's another verse, 26, that's just odd that it falls in this particular section of verses. So odd that some people have taken this 26th verse and put it over into the beginning of chapter 6. As some of you know, uh, with the Greek that we have from which we prepare our, our testaments, uh, we don't have. Uh, sentencing, punctuation, paragraphing, and, and, and uh, chaptering and that type of thing. So we do that ourselves. And so some people want to put this over in chapter six, but I think it's one of the keys to understanding this passage and understanding the context. Let me read it for you. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, Seems like an odd place for that, but in a moment you'll see how I believe that really points to what Paul is trying to get at for you and for me today as the truth he wants us to carry away in this passage. But let me give you the context. Basically, in this church in Galatia, it was uh, composed of basically new Christians, uh, two types of Christians, those who were Jewish in their religious traditions and the law and uh, all those types of things uh, prior. And they brought that with them, that baggage with them into their walk with Christ. And then there were those who were new Christians as Gentiles, and they didn't have that kind of baggage. Now, the strong ones, it seemed to be, in uh, those who were trying to teach in this uh, church were these Jewish uh, Christians, and they were called Judaizers by uh, those of us who put names to such people. And what they were basically doing is they were saying this. They were saying, look, um, the law is very important. Our traditions are very important. Circumcision is important. Our dietary laws, uh, the, the festival holidays that we worship. And for, for you to be righteous and for you to have salvation, it's Jesus plus some of these things. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Listen, we settled that back at the General Assembly in Acts 15. When we had been with you guys, we'd heard what was going on. And we brought this to James, Jesus' brother, as the head of the church in Jerusalem, and Peter and the others. And we said, we need a decision on this. And the decision was, no, it's Jesus plus nothing grants you your righteousness, grants you your salvation. Now, however important the law was to uh, those and should be to us because Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. Paul goes back to the law as being important to them, and he uh, strikes a chord with them saying, what is the summary of the law? What is the fulfillment of the law? And we know back from Leviticus and we know from Jesus' words what the summary of the law is. Love God, your neighbor, as yourself, right? And so he appeals to them on that basis that they haven't been loving their neighbor. Now I'm getting to the point that I'm making, and sometimes preachers make points that people could give a rip about, uh, but I think this is an important point. The point that I think Paul's making in uh, this passage is that when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he's not talking about self-control or any of these other items as as for me selfishly, something I need to work on for me. Interestingly, he really isn't uh, focusing on God as much as he does in so many other places. He's focusing on the neighbor. Now look at verse uh, 26. Verse 26 says, "'Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Not all was well in Galatia.'" Now let's go back to the three verses prior to what we read this morning, and it comes even into focus even in better ways. Paul says in verse 13, "...for you were uh, called to freedom, brothers." And basically what the Judaizers were doing is they were enslaving the Gentile Christians by tacking on things that God never intended to be tacked on in order to be righteous and have salvation. They were saying to the Gentile Christians, "...you need to be circumcised. You need to follow our dietary laws. You need to uh, worship on these special festival days." And the Council of Jerusalem said, no, you don't. You can be a Christian without those. If you want to practice those things, that's fine. But it doesn't add to your righteousness. It doesn't add to your salvation in any way, shape, or form. And then he addresses another uh, faction in the church uh, there in Galatia. And that faction is this. There were those who were so enamored with grace. And if you can overdo grace, uh, if that's possible, uh, and... There are many who will say you can't, but they were just saying, look, the more I sin, the more grace there is. So I'll sin more. So there'll be more grace. And Paul addressed that in uh, Romans uh, chapter six, verse one, uh, when he said very clearly there, uh, because grace abounds when I sin more, should I sin more? He says, by no means. So don't take a license uh, here uh, with this grace thing and, and don't get into sloppy agape, is what he's saying there. All right. So basically he appeals to the law, and, and, which is an appeal to them. And he says the law is very important, and, and we should be loving our neighbor. Look what he says here. Uh, first he says, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, which addresses that former faction I just spoke of. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to what was going on there in Galatia. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So there was biting and devouring going on. Uh, Verse 26, there was envying, provoking one another. There was conceit going on. And I believe very much this points to the context and the focus of this whole message on the fruit of the Spirit, not being for self, Uh, Paul figures that probably John Montgomery and most of the people here at Orangewood don't need a sermon on self, how to love yourself. We're pretty good at that. We've got that one down. Some of you need a sermon on that because you have such low self-esteem and low self-worth and image when your image and worth and esteem should be found in Christ. But that's a sermon for another day. And We don't necessarily need a sermon on on loving God and putting Him in the forefront. Paul does that plenty, as he should, as he well should in other places. But we should be loving our neighbor. And we should be using the fruit of the Spirit to do that. I should be loving you. I should be showing you peace as we pass the peace. Uh, I should uh, show you joy, Uh, patience in front of you. Exhibit that kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And so let's go on to uh, talk about the fact that that is not easy, is it? Uh, That's been the battle within, and uh, where we have self-control and focus. Uh, Let's talk first: uh, self-control, the battle uh, of the flesh and the spirit. Let's go back to these uh, early verses that we read. Uh, We find here that the flesh and the spirit—they're in conflict with each other. They don't like one another. They are not friends. They are enemies. They are polar opposites, the flesh and the spirit. And the text that we read here says the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh for they are opposed to each other uh, to keep us from what? Doing the things we want to do. What did Paul so transparently say in Romans chapter seven? Ah, wretched man that I am. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Who's going to save us is one Jesus Christ. And let's talk about that for just a moment. But I want to go back to Genesis 2 and 3. And you'll probably say, why are we going back to Genesis 2 and 3? Well, they're two of the most important chapters in Scripture that really lay the foundation for uh, where we go with our theology. And in 2, we see God creates Adam. He tells him he's placing him in a garden paradise and that he can do anything he wants in that and that he is uh, going to uh, live forever. Uh, and the harmony that exists between Adam and God on the vertical plane is gonna remain intact as long as he does what God says and doesn't, uh, and, and doesn't do what God says not to do, and that is to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And everything on the horizontal plane is gonna be in perfect harmony uh, between him and Eve and the animals and all of God's creation. And so uh, here we have Adam, he is created by God, and this is a takeaway I have from seminary I wanna share with you. Uh, He was born with free will. And a lot of people are confused about this thing called free will, aren't we? He was born with free will, and here's how I describe that. He was, not born, created with everything, the ability to do everything that he ought to do, and the ability to do everything he wanted to do. And if he had done what he should have done, his water and his otter would have worked together constantly and he never would have disobeyed God. But we know that he and Eve did disobey God and we also remember in chapter two that God said, surely the day in which you disobey me, you will die. This vertical relationship between him and God was corrupted and polluted. The relationship on the horizontal plane between... uh, him and and Eve. Uh, That was destroyed in a a way that uh, was corrupted and polluted and all of the rest of creation. And furthermore, he lost his ability to do what he ought to do. And he could only therefore thereafter do what he wanted to do. And what he wanted to do was guided by his sinful nature. And that's all he could do was obey his sinful nature. And he couldn't do what he ought to do. All right. So now we have the gospel. Jesus Christ comes along. And unlike the rest of us who inherited this sin nature from Adam, the first Adam, Jesus is called the second Adam in Scripture. He comes into this world with the ability to do whatever he ought to do and whatever he wanted to do. You with me? Not too hard for you? Okay. How did he get that and I didn't? Okay, somehow it was passed on down From Adam and Eve to their children on down to my parents to me, and I've passed it on to my children too. All right, how did he get there? Well, this virgin birth thing that so many people just think is not a very important doctrine is at the very footings of this situation in which Jesus comes in with the ability to do everything he ought to do and want to do. Uh, Mary was conceived of by the Holy Spirit. Jesus escaped the sin nature in his conception And he lived his life, unlike the first Adam, doing everything he ought to do and everything that he wanted to do. And his order and his water were right there in sync with each other all of his life. When he loved his neighbor, uh, he loved his neighbor perfectly, as he ought to do for the glory of the Father, but he loved his neighbor. He showed uh, peace and joy and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control constantly throughout his whole life. All right, then he dies for you and for me as our substitute. He pays the penalty for our sin, that of death. And then he restores to us the joy of having a fellowship with God on that vertical basis and the possibility for the horizontal basis for us to exist together uh, in Christian love and showing these fruit to one another. And he gave to me, who was born with the ability to do whatever he wanted to do, the ability to do whatever I ought to do. That's a gift, folks. And I now have free will for the first time since once I asked Christ into my heart. I never had free will before. It was a limited will, free to only do what I want to do. Now I can do whatever I ought to do. And the battle within is getting the otter and the water together and doing those things on a consistent basis. And again, I submit to you that that's uh, not very easy. All right. Beforehand, we had the dominance of our sinful nature. Christ lifted the dominance from us, and now it no longer dominates in our lives. And the flesh is against God and is against our neighbor. The Spirit is for God. The Spirit is God and for our neighbor and for us for that matter as well. And that gives us the potential for victory in this Christian life. Now, victory is a two-sided coin. Let me lead you into one side of that coin now as we talk about uh, self-control, the battle of crucifying the flesh. Verse uh, 24, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, you've watched enough uh, Western movies uh, to know how to finish my uh, statement or sentence. Uh, Wanted dead... All right, that's not good theology. Yeah, I preached a sermon once, wanted dead and alive. That's what the Lord wants from us. Uh, he wants us to come from death to life. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what Christianity is, uh, having lived in death, having lived in a dark, uh, dark place, and being brought into His marvelous and wonderful light. And one of the things I want to share with you, uh, in spite of grace, in spite of the gospel, if you are going to grow... As we should grow together in Christ, into Christ-likeness, grace in the gospel and growth are fostered and accompanied by personal responsibility. All right? That's left out a lot of the grace discussions. Grace carries with it responsibility. Not to use grace as a license for things. And so we have this uh, joy of this personal responsibility. One of my seminary professors defined a Christian as this, and it certainly isn't an, an all-inclusive uh, statement that to me describes a Christian, but a responsible person acting responsibly in an evil world. That's how he defined a Christian. A responsible person acting responsibly in an evil world. All right? And we have that capacity Because we can do whatever we ought to do and whatever we want to do through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us uh, as as his followers. What this is called, this whole business of crucifying by some of the theologians, is the mortification of the flesh. And you can read about that in Colossians uh, chapter 3. And I suggest that you... Uh, Use that in some of your follow-up devotions to this sermon. The sermon went a little longer than I wanted it to in the first service, and so I'm not going to read this passage and a few others. But in there, it talks about us uh, as a new creation, that we are in Christ, uh, that we need to put off certain things and just consider taking off this coat uh, as an example. There are certain things like taking off a coat that we need to take off, we need to eliminate from our lives. Now, there's another passage that has self-control very much at the focus, uh, and it speaks to the broader sense of self-control and us uh, controlling the self under the power of the Spirit, uh, where Paul is addressing the Corinthian church in chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And he speaks of an athlete. They had Olympic Games back in his day, the Isthmian Games, and he was a tent maker. He literally made tents for the boxing matches and some of those kinds of things. And he talks about athletes that... uh, Their aim is for a perishable wreath. In our day, it's a gold medal. Uh, They did everything in their power to obtain it. They ran the race well. They sought the prize that was in front of them. And this side of the coin of the victory that we can have in Jesus Christ, in the self-control and the manifestation of these other fruit, says there are certain things that an athlete would do to avoid harm in his or her life so that they could perform at their top level. And there should be likewise then certain things that we as Christians should seek to avoid bad influences in our lives. I heard a sermon once on inclination and opportunity. I don't even remember who preached it, but I remember this, and it stays with me. Uh, sometimes I have the inclination to sin, but I don't have the opportunity. Sometimes I have the opportunity to sin, but I don't have the inclination. But when the devil has his way, I have the inclination and the opportunity, and into the darkness I go. An athlete would seek to avoid those things that are inclinations and opportunities to take them away from the, uh, attaining to the prize. And, and we should seek that too. Another thing that figures into this, not only things. For instance, if you're struggling with money, I'm kind of thinking that maybe credit cards ought not to be a part of your life. I don't know what gives me that wisdom. Uh, Maybe you're a gambler, and that needs to go. Maybe you're struggling with food issues. Uh, Maybe there are certain food groups that need to go. And you're looking at me and say, oh, easy for him. Look at him. I've never had that problem. I have a ton of others, but that's not one of them, thank God. Um, Some of you are surfing the Internet. Maybe that needs to go. I mean... In the computer, you hit the delete button every day, don't you? And you trash things? Well, you trash things because they're trash. And in our Christian lives, there's some trash that's clinging to us. We need to hit the delete button and get those things in the trash can. All right? I have a, a Palmetto uh, copse in my backyard. About four different stalks are about that big around. And I was looking at them one day, and uh, they used to... Bear pretty nice palmetto fronds, nice, nice looking leaves, green, healthy, and I was looking at it the other day, and man, there was a bunch of uh, vines that were just had overtaken uh, these four stalks. And furthermore, I found some big ones. I mean, thicker than my thumb. And when I went down the ground, they had that potato-like root to it, you know. And so I said, I'm, I'm going to tackle this sucker. So I pulled those roots out. I cut those big vines off. I pulled out, I think I had four trash cans of stuff. And I know you're not going to believe this, but my palmetto uh, tree said, thank you. (laughs) Took a big sigh of relief and said, I can breathe again. And boy, now it's flourishing. What's that for you in your spiritual life? What, What things are big old potato roots that are rooted deeply in the ground and some big thick vines and some of those thinner vines that are just kind of suffocating your ability to flourish and to grow and, and to cultivate uh, the fruit of the spirit. Galatians five fifteen and 26 says there's trouble in Mudville in, in Galatia. And what Paul says, stop it, kill it, crucify it, delete it, put it in the trash can. All right, so that's one side of the coin of crucifying, uh, a, a victory in the Holy Spirit. What's the other side? And that's the wanted dead was the first side. The other side's wanted alive. And so we kind of go to the opposite side of this uh, coin now. And we talk about self-control and the battle of manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And again, uh, there is with grace, there is with the gospel, there is with growth, personal responsibility that's to be attendant to submitting to, yielding to, and surrendering to the Holy Spirit so that he can do his work in your life. All right. And, and we need to turn that faucet on and turn the other one off. Uh, what does it mean to walk in verses 16 and 25, to be led in verse 18, to live as it says in verse 25. Again, Colossians, if you were to go back to that recommended passage, uh, three twelve through 17, where it said earlier, put off, it then says, put on. There's some things you need to take off. There's some things you need to weed out and eliminate bad influences and, and, and people as well. Did I say that before? I meant to say that. There may be some people in your life that are a bad influence that need to go. That they're, they're harming, hindering your spiritual growth. Now, if it's your husband or wife, we need to go counseling on that one. But, uh, and it may be. Um, But now we're talking about what we put on. And who are some of the people that you would want to disciple you, be your mentor? Uh, My small group is becoming more and more every week. Uh, Susan here, Rosemarie, in my small group. I love these people. Uh, They're a part of my accountability group. They're a part of my workout partners. They're a part of those who kind of hold my nose to the grindstone. They're those who pray for me. They're those who build me up. And I'm there to build them up as well. And, and if you're not in a small group, we've got about 20 small groups right now. I realize that the website says that only two aren't full. And that's not a real good message that we want to send. Uh, but Larry's got a class on the 15th to train uh, more. There's at least six signed up, more leaders. If you'd like to be in that training process, wonderful. Uh, if you're just dying to be in a small group and you just can't wait, join the 19 of us in our group. That's against our rules, but I'm willing to break the rules till we can get you in another group, okay? Uh, or stay with us, whatever. Uh, but you need to be a small group. You need to have people surrounding. What are some of the things you need to put on in life? And, you know, here's where I kind of hesitate in this whole sermon uh, about what does it mean to be led by the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, um, to live in the Spirit, I, I desperately want to come up with some new, cute ideas, clever ideas, things that Cindy has never heard before and have her walk away and say, there's the answer, there's the missing piece. I remember we had a, a, a young seminary student in the church I attended before I went to seminary. And he came back and he gave his testimony to us. And he said, you know, all that I ever heard of this church is you've got to have a quiet time, you've got to have a prayer life, Uh, You got to have a relationship with Christ. You got to be in the scriptures. Uh, You got to be in fellowship with other people. Uh, You got to serve. And I've come to a conclusion since I've been to seminary that you need to have a prayer life. You need to be in the scriptures. Uh, You need to worship. You need to serve other people. I wish I could be new and clever. Um, Is that the best I've got? As uh, the theologian S. Palin says, you betcha. Sarah Palin, you betcha! Uh, I'm glad I didn't do that the first one. You betcha! That's all I've got. That's the not all I've got, but that's the best I've got. And it's like the the farmer that uh, somebody from Auburn went to, and uh, they had this new book on agriculture and tried to sell the farmer. And the farmer said, no, thank you. And the guy said, why not? This is all the latest technology. It's all the latest stuff, the techniques and everything. And he says, I don't farm half as good as I already know how. <laughs> and most of us don't do Christianity half as well as we already know how. It's putting the, the know-how we've got already into practice and, and submitting it uh, to the Lord Jesus indeed. Uh, so this Galatian stuff about the fruit, I, I don't think that um, Paul puts self-control last uh, just by accident. Now, let me tell you something else that I think is very interesting. Some people look at the fruit of the Spirit as the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that's it. Manifest in eight different ways. Peace, joy, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That's, a, that's fascinating to me. Now, it certainly sounds scriptural to me. It's not unscriptural. But if Paul didn't have that in mind, and there are truly nine... I believe that he put self-control at the ninth place for a reason, and that is because this. I think if under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, walking with him, which is an active conduct in your life, that if you've got these other eight in line, self-control is going to happen to the glory of God. I really think that. And, and I think what we found in our small group, it's interesting to me, is we've been talking about the questions that are uh, in our bulletin every week, I don't think anybody has intentionally done this, but no one has been able to talk about one of the fruit without bringing other fruit into play, about talking about them also. And I believe that self-control is a product of the other eight fruit. And I think that's why Paul uh, put it in the place uh, in which he did. And so uh, been going about this thing for the better part of 70 years, uh, had some failures had some successes to the glory of God, Um, looking for victory, thinking I ought to be further down the road than what I am, Uh, thinking that you think that too. Uh, I know my wife thinks that. Um, It's the biggest and most important battle that I've ever fought in my life, and I've got the scars to prove it. But the one thing I'd love to do as I leave you is leave you with the 10 easy steps on how to walk in, be led by, and live in the Holy Spirit. And I just don't think those exist. And I think if anybody tells you that they've got 10 easy steps, they're probably asking to send some money into their TV ministry too. Uh, Instead of 10 easy steps, I want to leave you with uh, a suggestion, and that is a letter to God. And if you look in your bulletin, uh, you'll see uh, that letter across from... Uh, the sermon outline that we've been going through today. And it goes something like this. Dear God, and that's certainly showing adoration to him as we should, I battle with crucifying my flesh. I battle with not gratifying the desires of my flesh. Forgive me. There's a good Christian tone to be sounded there. Forgive me for having failed in my battle of living by, walking in, or being led by your spirit. My biggest battle in self-control is, and you fill in whatever you think is appropriate to fill in there. Um, I'm not going to show you mine. Uh, We'll get to that in just a minute. When I fail in my battle to control this area of my life, I feel. I mean, I feel yucky. I feel guilty. I feel dirty. I feel shameful. How do you feel? Are those good feelings? I mean, obviously not. Why would you want to feel that way? Um, Certainly you want to feel the opposite of when you have victory. Lord, who and or what would you have me eliminate from my life that adds to my inclination and opportunity to my battle? What other fruit am I neglecting to cultivate which by neglecting adds to my battle? With whom besides you would you have me share this letter in confidence, and in whom I could trust to walk with me in my battle. There's your workout partner. I think this is one of the greatest missing steps in Christianity: is that we don't have that person in our lives that we can share honestly what we put down here with, and know we can do it in confidence, that they won't judge us, and they'll love us anyway, and they'll stand by us, and they'll pray for us, and encourage us. A lot of times, this happens in small groups. Lord, I can't do this without you. That's self-confidence. We're talking about spirit confidence now. Thank you for the grace to grow in my victory over this battle. To you be the glory. In Christ, Steve Brown says, the fish are in the sea, the birds are in the air, and Christians are in Christ. Paul uses this, I think, 140 times. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And sign your name. Someday, not too long from now, I suspect, uh, the Lord's going to call me home. Um, he's going to call you home too. Hopefully not as soon as He's going to call me. And it's going to be glorious because I'm going to see Him as He is and I'm going to be like Him. And furthermore, I am going to have perfection and self-control and it will signal this forever relationship with my Father the end of the battle within. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you're in the battle with us. Thank you that without you, we couldn't have victory in this battle. That with us expressing our responsibility in submitting and surrendering to you, And with the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us as Christ's followers, that we will see victory more and more so. We will see growth here in this lifetime. And we thank you for this in the strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.